There are some admittedly horrible object lessons to be learned from the recent shooting in the church in Texas, and we'll get to some of the principles, which is, I think, the very best that can be extracted from the confined and claustrophobic horrors of the situation. The updates are that, according to witnesses, the shooter targeted frightened children and babies and shot them as punishment for crying, which probably tells you quite a lot about the shooter's own childhood. You know, the old, I'll give you something to cry about, or if you show vulnerability to an abusive parent, that that is exactly like telling your torturer exactly where it hurts the most. It gives them the nerve centers to push down with their sadistic thumbs. So the shooter, Devin Kelly, of course, walked into the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, yelling, everybody is going to die, expletive before, of course, shooting 26 people, including children. He deliberately and specifically targeted children who cried or begged for help as he continued to fire off his rounds, according to a couple. Joaquin Ramirez, 50, said, when the children cried next to their mothers, he would return to shoot them more. He had more hatred toward the children because they cried. And it's interesting too, because when I first did a video on this, I felt quite emotional. And it is fascinating to see what comes back when you have a healthy expression of deep emotion in a public sphere. And there were, to be fair, a lot of people who appreciated the openness and the um, honesty of my emotional experience when first talking about this shooting. But of course, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, he's acting, it's fake, he's, you know, I mean, this fear of emotion is programmed into us very young. If you show emotion, if you show vulnerability, if you show passion, you are attacked because emotions are certainty. Emotions are strength. You can have all the intellectual strength and certainty that you want in your life, but if it's not tied into your emotional apparatus, then you will not actually have any power. Uh, intellect is the technique, but knowledge is the muscle. You can read all you want about a martial art, but until you practice it and become good at it in the real world, you're not going to be um, in any good in combat. And emotions are that which root us in certainty. When we're passionate about something, that's where we have our greatest strength in communication. Passion united with rationality is a virtually unstoppable combination, which is why, of course, if you're rational, you're attacked, and if you're passionate and rational, you're attacked. You're allowed to be passionate if you're crazy. You're allowed to have your little tics and craziness and so on. But if you are rational and passionate, if there's no mind-body dichotomy, if there's no split and opposition between your reason and your passion, then you are of grave danger to the powers that be. And therefore, the um, seeds against that are sown pretty early. And if you think back in your own life, I'm sure you can find times, situations, moments, and examples where you felt great passion, but also felt that Expressing that passion was a great and grave danger. Of course, we're also told that if you're passionate, it leads to madness. And of course, the fact that I was passionate and uh, crying in a video did not, of course, lead me to madness, but instead keeps me sane. The deep and rich emotionality of life is 
what we strive for. Of course, happiness is not a thought. It is not a syllogism. It is not an equation. It is not an argument. Happiness is a feeling. And our emotions seem to be so constituted that if we turn off one feeling, it's like this big giant switch. You know, like you got a fuse box in the basement and then there's the one that turns off everything. There's no individual switches of up or down for our feelings. We either have feelings or we don't. We dial them down and turn off all of our feelings and then wonder why we end up nihilistic, depressed and anxious. Or we have our feelings and gain our strength. So the fact that he would attack children who were vulnerable, who were scared, may indicate something about how he was raised. So Ramirez and his girlfriend said that they were seated near the back of the church when he uh, the shooter ambushed the congregation. They hid under the pews and pretended that they were dead in order to avoid being killed. I guess playing possum is the way that it's taught. So they report that as the shooter was shooting into the crowd of churchgoers, he became impatient with those who couldn't hide their fear, especially children. Now that is the classic impossible situation. Like if you're upset in a conflict with a parent or anyone, but in particular parents have so much power, if the parent then escalates, then you're going to get more upset. But if they escalate because you're being upset, then you're being put into an impossible situation. I mean, I remember this when I was a kid. My mother would give me complicated and contradictory instructions. And if I asked for clarification, she would get very impatient and angry at me for not understanding what she had clearly stated. And if I did not ask for clarification or ask for clarification only once or twice because um, her aggression was such that it wasn't pleasant to continue to do that. So if I didn't get things right, then she would attack me for getting things wrong. But if I asked for clarification, I would be attacked. So it's a no-win situation. You can't get it right and you can't ask for clarification. And these kinds of like, if you're shooting into a crowd, of course, becoming terrified, mortally terrified, particularly children. And if you target people for the very fear that your actions have spontaneously created, it is putting them into an impossible situation. I will kill you if you act scared. But of course, you're terrified of being killed. And it is putting people in this impossible situation, to me, is another reflection of impossible situations a shooter probably experienced as a child. And I'm not trying to evince sympathy for the shooter. Please don't misunderstand me. Just because we try to examine causality does not mean mean that we prescribe forgiveness. So uh, Ramirez said that when the babies were crying, he punished them with bullets just horrifying. Now, in a chilling vision into the eruption of a literal hellscape inside the fairly sleepy church, Ramirez said that he held a finger to his lips, hoping to silence Annabelle Pomeroy, who's the pastor's daughter. She's 14, she was 14 years old, and he put his finger to his lips. He couldn't say anything because he was playing dead, but he put his fingers to his lips, hoping to silence her. So just as the shooter began to leave the church, the pastor's daughter cried for help because the shooter thought everyone was dead. So she cried out for help. And according to the witness, quote, the pastor's daughter cried again and he walked back to the front to shoot her. As I was crawling out, I looked at the child. She was dead. 
I mean, this is such an appalling act of evil. Now, people say, oh, mental health issue, of course. But what does that tell you? I mean, to, to prescribe the cause after the fact is not particularly helpful. So when someone does something, quote, crazy, saying, well, they're crazy, it's like being a doctor rather than a mortician. The mortician says, this person is dead because a corpse comes into his place of business. But the doctor is supposed to prescribe and prevent the death. So saying when somebody does something this crazy, oh, he was crazy, I don't think it adds anything. It's kind of like a tautology. How do we know he was crazy? He did something crazy. It's a synonym. It's not, it doesn't add anything to the equation. And, and people who say, well, he was mad at his in-laws who went to this church. Well, he knew where his in-laws lived, I assume. Why would he go to the church? Why would he go and shoot up the church? Especially when his in-laws weren't even there. Doesn't seem to me particularly plausible. And even if he was crazy, which, you know, I guess we can say that he was, but uh, crazy is just a secular word for evil. Uh, crazy has no moral quality to it because you can be crazy generous. You can be crazy altruistic. You can give kidneys to strangers. You can sign away your entire fortune to charities. You can crazy generous. So crazy, just, there's no moral content to it. And therefore it is not a valid or helpful word to describe an act of outright base human evil such as this. So the fact that people say, well, the fact that he was a, a very aggressive atheist had nothing to do with anything. Well, how do we know? How do we know? Let's say he was crazy. Crazy means you're going to do something extreme. But how that extremity manifests itself is not dictated by the craziness. So let's say he was crazy. Is it possible that his craziness combined with his atheism, may have led, to, led him to this kind of aggression. Well, maybe the atheism channeled his insane rage towards Christians. I don't know. But just saying he was crazy explains nothing. Because everyone knows that it's a mad, extreme, violent, vicious act. Of course he's crazy. It doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't explain anything. The other question is, how the hell was this guy free out there walking about? How the hell? He had girlfriends and, and I think he was married twice. Or I mean, how, how, how is that? Who the hell dates this kind of lunatic? Ladies, for God's sakes, stop banging violent men. You are drumming the drums in the deep that summon the demonic. How the hell was he free? So you'll notice that the gun control question began to evaporate fairly quickly. Now, one of the reasons why is the U.S. Air Force has said, oops, oops, sorry, everyone who's dead, bit of a misstep. So Devin Kelly, the shooter, his name and criminal convictions were never entered by the Air Force into the National Criminal Information Center. So that, for those who don't know, it's an information system from the FBI that allows law enforcement officials to gain access to crime data across a variety of agencies. So the fact that he wasn't, oops, wasn't entered into that meant that he had a clean record when he was run through the database to check whether he could own a gun. 
So there were three main reasons why he should never have, legally should not have had access to guns. The first is that he pled, he pled guilty to an incident of domestic abuse in which he, quote, struck his wife by beating her with his hands, kicking her, as well as choking her and forcefully pulling her hair, end quote, and the beating of a child under 16 and a lot under 16. He hit the child, quote, on the head and body with a force likely to produce death or grievous bodily harm. And these incidents were between 2011 and 2012. There were three additional charges that I assume, based on a plea bargain, were withdrawn and dismissed. This is the allegation that the shooter back in the day, uh, struck a child as well as assaulted and threatened his wife by pointing both loaded and unloaded firearms at her. How is this possible? You point loaded weapons at your wife and child. You beat the child within an inch of its life. You beat your wife. How are you a still free-range nut job. How are you out in the wild? How are you out in society? Now, the Air Force confirmed that the shooter had been treated in a mental health center. So what happened? He was, he was placed in pretrial confinement from the court-martial charges that he assaulted his spouse and hit her child hard enough to fracture the little boy's skull. Fracture the little boy's skull. Now, this should have been it, as far as his chance to own legally, to, to get hold of a firearm. So you're a convicted domestic abuser. You have a dishonorable discharge. If that's in the database, you're not getting past any background checks. You cannot get a permit. You cannot purchase a weapon. But again, the Air Force did not enter him into this database. Now, don't worry, they, they're going to review the case and, and what? Who's going to pay? Well, now what happens is I assume that six million lawsuits are going to descend upon the Air Force for failing to do its duty in entering this man's name into a database of offenders. And the taxpayer is going to have to pay for all these settlements. No one. No one's going to pay. No one's going to go to jail. No one's going to be... A, Criminally negligent. No one's even going to pay a penny out of their own pocket. It's the massive counter uh, culture of lack of accountability that we live in. Accountability is like the muscle that builds the resistance called free will, responsibility. And it's funny because the military is all about responsibility and accountability. But in this case, who's going to pay out of their own pocket? So the shooter, back in the day when he was being, quote, treated in a mental health center in New Mexico, he escaped. And then, he, well, and he also got in trouble for bringing guns onto a military base and threatening his superiors there. And this is according to police reports. So just to, you know, brief recap, points a gun at his wife and child. That's the alleged part, which was dropped again, I assume to expedite things. Alleged. He uh, pled guilty to beating his wife and child, his child to within an inch, or the child, I don't know if it's his or not, within an inch of his life, fracturing its skull. He escapes from the mental health facility. He brings weapons to a military base and threatens his superiors, points a gun at his wife and child, loaded, unloaded. Eh, he's out. 
Yeah, he's out wandering about and uh, he's not in a database of criminality. So you can just go in and buy some, whatever guns he wants. And you people want the government to run anything? Are you kidding me? Kelly was also named as a suspect in a 2013 sexual assault, which is uh, in his hometown of New Braunfels. Uh, it's about 35 miles from the church attack. So it's, again, three missed opportunities. It's a way to stop him from having access to guns, all in the law already. And I guess his final use of a weapon was the self-inflicted gunshot wound. He was chased by, he was engaged by bystanders, chased by bystanders and crashed his car. And the guy who shot him was an NRA firearms instructor. He knew what he was doing. He knew what to do. So people saying, oh, the NRA is a terrible place. Well, without the NRA, who knows what would have happened? More bodies, more deaths, I assume. So if you are involuntarily committed to a mental institution, well, you can't get a weapon. But no background checks triggered anything because the data wasn't there. He, in all practical purposes, had a clean record. Court-martialed, dishonorably discharged, pled guilty to domestic abuse charges, involuntarily confined in a mental institution, but his charges never made it into the NCIC, so boom, doesn't exist. Oh, also, emerging uh, now, that uh, a woman who's now 22 say that the shooter made her pose for naked pictures and invited her to be his live-in topless maid with him and his second wife. When she was 13 years old and forced himself on her when he was 18 and she was 13 years old. She called him a monster, forced her to pose nude for him, and she was a child. He was legally an adult. All of which, of course, is illegal. So you see, this is why gun control is the murder is illegal. Uh, having the weapons with this kind of history is illegal. Uh, this is assault upon a child, this rape of a child, it seems, is, is illegal. But does it matter? You know, she tried to get away from this guy when she was a kid. He stalked her for years, even though he got married twice. Where does this kind of pedophilia, child rape, come from? Well, I assume that, I mean, everyone's 100% responsible, don't get me wrong here, but the cycle needs to be examined and understood that pedophilia is a virus that spreads through repetition, right? If you're raped as a child, that's your first horrifying pseudo-sexual experience, and we we tend to bond sexually with our first sexual uh, experience for obvious reasons of uh, cultural relativism, and we act um, in, in order, like to reproduce, we act in a manner manner that is imprinted upon our early sexual experiences. And what was his childhood like? What happened with him when he was a child? This is not for sympathy, but for understanding. And I, you know, I had, I was thinking about this when I was putting this presentation together. I have had a friend who used to occasionally say, when we had sleepovers, and he would say, 
to people to to the adults and to the other kids. He would say, "Don't wake me up suddenly. Don't wake me up too quickly. Otherwise, I will attack you." And I would not want to be responsible for that. Don't startle me while I'm sleeping. And this kind of hair trigger response, and then the guy knew his martial arts. This kind of hair trigger response, you know, in hindsight, of course, knowing what I know now. I mean, everyone just thought, well, that's kind of weird. But this guy came from a single mom household. I'm sure there were boyfriends roaming around. Who knows what happened? Who knows why he was so terrified in his own bed? I have this thought, this possibility. If we all just told the truth, look at that. I'm having trouble saying it. Let me try that again. If we all just stood in a mental circle and told the truth about our histories, so much about the world and the chaos and violence and destruction that seems to engulf it on a regular basis, sometimes it seems almost 24-7. If we just told the truth about our own histories, about our own childhoods, then we would do a lot to tamp down the violence of the world. I really, really believe that. I would call it Project Childhood. Just tell the truth about your history without defending those who wronged you, without avoidance, without dissociation. If we just connected and told the truth about our histories, and I've done that in my show for, for 10 years now, I've told the truth about my childhood. There is freedom in that. Knowing how you were harmed, knowing what happened, speaking the truth. Look what's happening in Hollywood at the moment. People are telling the truth about sexual assaults, rapes, and so on. It is turning the light on. Because if we turn the light on, we can see the monsters. If the light stays off, we become the monsters. <laughs>